Chasing Sunday podcast you've been boom, waiting for. Boom, 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 boom. We're back to like <laughs> making little jingles we with our mouths. This is wonderful. Hey, welcome back to the Chasing Sunday podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Davis. And I am Paul Romick Levitt. And uh, this is a podcast uh, for primarily for worship leaders, but really it's for anybody that is interested in how uh, how to get off that Sunday to Sunday treadmill um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, and really find uh, satisfaction in uh, in your work in ministry and uh, yeah. some wholeness and some uh, just beauty once again in what we do in ministry, right. Um, so thank you so much for, for listening. We, this is going to be our last episode of this season. Um, season three. Season three. Trace. Um, I'm bilingual now. Um, the trace, I, as they call it. <laughs> yes. South of the border. Uh, got, <laughs> um, and, uh, thank you for, for listening to this season. We've got some, some fun stuff planned for, uh, for season four. And, uh, so make sure that you subscribe so that you can, uh, know when all that is happening. Um, and, uh, we've got kind of a grab bag of, of topics today, uh, for, for this last episode of the season. And I'm really excited to dig into it. Um, we've got what we call a bottleneck. Um, and, uh, Paul, maybe you can explain what we mean by that and then dive into this bottleneck that we've received from a worship leader. Sure. Um, so bottleneck is a language we, uh, totally stole whole cloth from our uh, time at three to five club, Mm -hmm. um, in which, what these business owners would do is they'd get into a room with a, a group of their peers and they would just share attention that they're dealing with. Maybe it's a direct problem that somebody in the group could help solve and had an idea that they hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. Or it was, um, in our case, the way we'd like to do it is because worship leaders often have to deal with um complex issues that don't have like right or wrong answers or don't have yes or no uh, choices, but they're actually more of a um, wrestling with a deeper level of, of leadership. That's how we, we thought we would frame it a little bit. So sometimes the bottlenecks are, you know, they might have just a pretty practical answer or we have some ideas mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's just um, where a worship leader is is struggling or a question they're dealing with and um, they send it over to us uh, on qualified swine and we do our best to mangle that question. <laughs> <laughs> Unqualified swine. Yeah. I did, was swine too low? Cause swine, I, I felt like, like I, I don't know. There, I was taking there a swipe. Are, there are days that <laughs> uh, swine doesn't feel low enough. Um, <laughs> and, and this is coming from a person who really, I don't know. Pork. I've got all of these pearls everywhere, everywhere. And I don't know what to do the with people them. People have just been casting before me. Casting them in um, front of me. <laughs> anyway, so, anyway, uh, so yeah. yeah, we, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, sometimes it's just good for us to be able to process our questions and our issues in community, um, because it's good for us to know that we're not alone and we're not the only ones dealing with these problems. So, um, so yeah, that's really the, yeah. the heartbeat behind it. So what do you, what do you got for us, cool. Polly? So this comes from a worship leader's name is Nate. And, uh, uh, here's his question, which I'm so excited to get into. Um, he asks, how do we as worship leaders better engage with the whole of who God is? Mm-hmm. The whole of our human experience, 
Not just the fluffy, wonderful praise, but the hard parts of life or even the other characteristics of God we never address. If Jesus was human, there are definitely aspects of Uh, aspects he engaged with that aren't the normal subject of modern praise and worship. Hmm. So fantastic question. There's like, there's a lot of meat in there, right? Yeah. Um, So thanks for that question. Like, what do you think, Brian? Like, you want to take a stab at that first? Yeah. um, No. Uh, Yeah. Yes, I do. (laughs) Um, I I think one, there's there is there is so much of god <laughs> that it would be impossible uh for us to address all of that um in you know in every song uh in every sermon in every small group um does that mean that we should not try um absolutely not i think it's it's absolutely worth doing everything that we can to try to address all of those aspects and to wrestle with all of those, all of those things. Why do I think that we, why do I think that we don't do it? <laughs> that's, that's a fun way to phrase that. Yeah. Um, because it's messy um, because it's hard. And mm. I think that our, our default position is to um, is to just do whatever is easiest um, mm. do whatever, especially in this day and age, do whatever's going to keep the most people in the seats. Um, yeah. do whatever is going to keep people's attention, uh, for the longest, um, do whatever feels better. Um, it doesn't, uh, you know, my, my church, we did a series, uh, was it this year or last year? Um, a series called you lost me at Leviticus. We did a 12 week <laughs> series on the book of Leviticus. Um, I love that and, title. Uh, right. Because that's usually like, I'm, I'm fine reading Genesis and Exodus. Like there's some cool stories in there. There's some blood and guts and like, it's, you know, it's fun. Uh, yeah. And then we get to Leviticus and Nope, I'm out. <laughs> like, I don't mm. want to talk about this, but we, we went through it and I, you know, I feel like our, our lead pastor um, did a great job of, of, breaking down like what, like what all of it meant. Like, you know, we, we think about like, you know, oh, it's, it's the law. Like it's, so how, how is that even relevant to us today? Well, Hmm. like there, there was so much in it that I felt was so relevant. And when you start to think about like, here's, here's why God was doing this for his people. Mm -hmm. And here's what these things actually mean. And here's what they still mean for us today. Um, and, uh, you know, so we we weren't afraid to wrestle with some of those hard things that are in the Bible and and some of that depth of of who God is. But even when we got, I, th- I think another reason we don't address it is because we're afraid to to say like, I don't know, I don't know why yeah. this is in the Bible, you know. And but there were there were some things where we even had to say like, yeah, this this part is really hard, and I don't know. So we're going to continue to wrestle with this as a community. We we can't unpack this in a week or even 12 weeks. Um, So Mm -hmm. what we'll do is we're going to take that piece of it and we're going to say, I don't know, that's, that is really hard and it's really gross. And it's really like, you know, um, I, I I don't, you know, I, I don't know why God said that people who have a spontaneous nocturnal emission 
are considered unclean and must spend the rest of the day, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's out, definitely the rule out, in my outside house. Outside the camp. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, hey, hey, Shmuel, Shmuel, why are you over there outside of the, like, why are you outside the camp? So mind your business, that's why. (laughs) You know, it's like, like, I don't don't know why God made that rule, but it's there. And, uh, you know, know, somebody like me could definitely make horrible jokes about it. But... um, you have to, but I think that there's take the Bible seriously, right? Yeah. I think there's just there's that fear that if I don't if I don't have the answer, then somebody's going to come after me. Like our our addiction to certainty is so much so that that I think a lot of pastors, a lot of worship leaders, we're afraid to say I don't know because because we think that our folks are going to come come after us and say yeah, like yeah. oh well if you don't have the answers you're obviously not qualified so so right. your job is your job is in question at risk at yeah. risk yeah. um and so um yeah. so yeah i think we we have we have to start finding ways to address yeah. those things in in a curious way yeah. not necessarily in a way that says i have to I have to find the answer to this and I have yeah. to wrap it up and put a bow on it in a five minute song or in a 35 minute sermon yeah. um, to be, to be willing to take our hands off of that and say like, I don't know. And so yeah. I want to, I want to dive deeper into it. Like I don't want to stop pursuing whatever that, whatever that mystery may be. Yeah. Um, but there has to be at some point there has to be some willingness to say to take the risk of saying I don't know I don't understand it yeah. but this is how I'm wrestling with it I'm wrestling it th- yeah. with it through this art um, through this through this reading or through this writing or whatever it is um, I don't know if that's a if that's a good answer it's just it's I think it's a I think it might be a way forward at least yeah um, so what about yeah what about you Paul that's because it is yeah. it's a very deep and multifaceted question yeah uh, I. I think Think about it in maybe two ways. One is like the worship leader as a person and as a, it's like a follower of Jesus. And then the worship leader as a leader of musicians and congregations mm. and spiritual moments and rituals and stuff like that. And the one I sense for at, at first is the nature of the question already um, betrays that there is some discontent already there Mm -hmm. that they're not satisfied with the status quo Mm -hmm. of the 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 way that like every worship song is mostly featuring the same attributes of god or spiritual life over and over and over again and you're like yeah but then when i read the bible i don't always see that same thing it seems like everybody's life in the bible is a mess and their emotions are crazy and all that kind of stuff so um i guess i guess in that regard i would say try and stay as naive as possible for as long as possible because hmm. <laughs> and this is what i mean hmm. your life will get more complicated the more questions you ask hmm. now it will get better that hmm. is that that is my belief it will get better your life will get better your relationship with god will get deeper um and more complex but more complicated hmm. and there's a lot of people who feel like they have a, a wonderful ecstatic beautiful relationship with god um and i 
I off, I often feel like I'm the kind of person that's in there throwing bombs um, and being and sowing doubt or um, all, all that sort of stuff. And um, so I've I've started to feel um, I don't know self conscious about that. Hmm. Um, and I don't want I don't want to ruin anybody's. I don't want to yuck your yum is the word is the term I was like if that's what you're into just stay with it just stick with it for for as long as you can stick with it sure my belief is that it won't last long if you're mm. being honest if you're being um thoughtful and you're really wanting to pursue god mm-hmm. because i think jesus is always going to push he always did it with his friends and his disciples. He was he knew exactly like what were the little false gods that we have and which ones to push over and those things, even if they looked like Jesus, mm-hmm. even if they looked like Christianity. Like Jesus is not um above um burning down some churches. Now I'm that's not that's the that's a horrible metaphor. That's not sure. what I mean. Right. That was a terrible example. But I but in terms of destroying some traditions. Yeah. He's he's okay with that. Um down the structures that we've built. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um but um then there is the the tension that a worship leader so that's the tension a personal worship leader may deal with and mm-hmm. in which case I say any question that you have ask it. Mm. Always ask. Continue to ask. Go further because there is there's a there's a trust also there that Jesus mm-hmm. is also going to be there f- first and will be there ahead of you and you won't be able to go to a place mm-hmm. where you will not find Christ um mm-hmm. and that's that's important when you're as a leader you are responsible for people at a variety of different places on their journey like mm-hmm. I mentioned before so um uh although like okay my current frustration right now is i've been going to a lot of funerals um and i don't like funerals i i love okay it's because i love funerals and i love weddings um because they're incredible moments of realness and mm-hmm. love and celebration they can be but then often they can just be so hijacked by cultural uh expectations about what we're supposed to do and and the the thing that we're all gathered to do we don't actually do and that feels really tragic to me and so the stuff about funerals where it's just kind of like um nobody says anything real about the person who died right um everybody wants to talk about um heaven you know and not that that's bad but it's just like um i uh, I don't know how that's helping us. I don't mm. think that's I mean, we, in terms. It's okay to grieve and lament and all that kind of stuff. All of that to say, sometimes I want to have this real, real moment, like, "Hey, let's tear down the walls," kind of thing. And that's not where everybody is. And you have to know that, but also find ways to appropriately push and provoke a little bit. Yeah, like that's your leadership imperative to mm-hmm. find that way to kind of how do you mind gently pushing people yeah. and having a long period of time to a long trajectory about what that change change and transformation is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's that's hard to do with with worship music, but you know, right. That's my no. Take. I, I think one of the one maybe a practical application uh, to Nate's question is, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're wanting to find, you know, at least music that's outside, you know, outside of the norm of like these these are the 
the only attributes of God that anybody is addressing, you, mm-hmm. you might need to look outside, you know, some of those, some of those normal avenues. Um, you might need to look back, um, mm-hmm. too. uh, you know, not to say that, that every hymn or every, you know, older, you know, older song that we use to express our worship, um, you know, is, is absolutely theologically 100% correct. That's mm-hmm. just not true. Um, but it means, you know, getting away from just whatever is on the, you know, CCLI top 25 and maybe going back and thumbing through a hymnal, <clears throat> thumbing through a hymnal, um, mm-hmm. or, or looking through, you know, maybe, maybe even songs that are, you know, 20, 25, 30 years old, um, that, yeah. you know, that, you know, those of us who have been leading worship a long time kind of cut our teeth on, um, there are some, some really beautiful, uh, expressions of, of maybe different attributes of, of God's, you know, personality or the way that God acts, um, that, that aren't expressed in, in some of the more modern worship songs. So don't, don't be afraid of that. Um, I know there are a lot of people out there. I get, I get made fun of a lot, not in a, not in like a hurtful way, but uh, you know, I have some friends who are, are on me all the time because of my face, bald head. Yeah. Because of my face and my bald head. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm short. I've gained weight. Um, Mm -hmm. there are a number of things that they can make fun of me for, (laughs) but the one that they tend to hone in on is the fact (laughs) that like I, I do, (laughs) I do older songs. Like I, I'm not, I'm not always like, they'll ask me, Oh, did you guys do this? You know, latest song that came out two weeks ago. Um, and, Mm, and I'm like, I haven't even heard that song. No, we did, you know, (laughs) we did something from like the third passion album that came out (laughs) in, in 2008. (laughs) So, um, so sorry, no, I don't know all the latest new ones, but, but I, you know, and I'm not just doing that because I'm trying to be contrarian or like, I'm not going to do the latest stuff. All the new worship stuff is bad, you know? Um, some of it is, but, uh, but it's because I find those expressions and, and maybe the way that that song expresses a certain attribute of God that we were looking at on a particular week, yeah. that, that says it best, you know, um, or maybe there's a hymn that, that I can go back to and say like, oh yeah, don't be afraid to, to like, I have, maybe this is sacrilege, um, but I don't care. Uh, I've gone back through and taken, you know, like uh, I have an arrangement of come thou fount of every blessing um, that I actually, uh, I, I changed some of the words. Um, Boy, uh, how just, mean line of you. I know, right? <laughs> uh, I just felt like so much of it was, there were parts of it that I was like, oh, this is not, I don't feel like this is how God actually sees us or me, mm, mm-hmm. how can I, you know, how can I sort of approach this in a way that, that maintains, I feel like maintains the integrity of the song and and the meaning of the song, but also like maintains the integrity of how I feel God looks at us as, yeah. you know, as human beings, not as, you know, worms that need to be crushed or, you know, you know, debtors that owe this great, yeah. you know, this, yeah. this great debt to, you know, to our savior. But as people who are deeply loved and for whom, you know, yeah. for whom Christ, you know, wants abundance and, I, and, and goodness. Yeah. So I find the critique like that always fascinating because it always comes from a particular 
tradition that says um, we can find the pure version of this mm. theology, mm-hmm. right? That says, and don't change it. Who are you to change it? Like uh, changing things willy-nilly all the time, not realizing that's exactly how they got their scripture in the first place. Right. That there are people who are going like, hey, this guy said it this way, this guy said it this way, but I kind of say it this way. I mean, that's how Jesus actually interpreted scripture. Right. <laughs> you know, you have, that was, you have heard and that it was said, all, but you truly heard I said to you, yeah. Right. And then it continues going. It's not like at one point it like stops. And that's where mm-hmm. a lot of particular kinds of traditions, Christian traditions, want it to stop. Right. So we can just go, hey, we've closed the book. No more conversation. We've made the decisions. No, nobody adding anything. No, and as if God is not continuing to speak. God has already said everything. We're not hearing any more from him. So let's just worship what he said hundreds of years ago. And and then pretend as if he's just saying it in a new way yeah. now, but it's not. It's right. like could be changing, um, and that's that's a bold position to take too. Yeah. I I would say. Well, it's it's diving into that that mystery, and I've used this I've used this analogy before, and I actually just mentioned it in a conversation that I had earlier this morning. Is you know the the search for the God particle at the mm-hmm. at the CERN Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, you know they're they're looking for this Higgs boson particle um, by smashing atoms together and then seeing what happens in that explosion, and they're they're looking for what's inside the thing that's inside yeah. the thing. But what yeah. they find every time they do that is that there's another thing inside the thing, yeah. and then there's another thing inside that thing, and they just keep going. And so we're we are either with with science we're either we're either trying to look further in. To try to find where God, you know, what whatever is in the middle of that thing, whether it's yeah. God or whatever it is, or we're looking further out. So we're yeah. we're searching the edges of outer space with things like the James Webb Telescope, and and yeah. and what we're finding is that it just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like so, how how far out and how far in do we have to look before we finally realize what's at the middle is just mystery, and we're gonna keep yeah. diving in further and further and further. Yeah. Why would we not do that with God? Why would we not do that with our faith? Why would we say, nope, this is as far as I want to go, and yeah. and this is this is the end of all truth. This is the end of all like the yeah, like you said, close the book. We're done. Um. I don't, I don't think that's the way God is like, there's no. there like the, there's, there's so much depth and there's so much richness and there's so much beauty that never ends. Yeah. And so let's just keep diving further into it with our music, with, with our, with our worship, whatever that is, like, don't be afraid to keep going, but do it. Certainly we need to do it in a, in a, in a way that isn't, isn't frightening our, our, you know, our yeah. congregations and our communities. Um, we need to find loving ways to do that. Um, and so, so yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't Such know. a good question. Yeah. Thanks for let it, getting us uh, talking about that, Nate. Um, but it, it actually kind of uh, really connects to the other thing that we were thinking about talking about, which was like this great um, article that was just published uh, in Christianity Today. Um, and it's why, why does all... Um, worship music sound the same mm. and and what's interesting is that that's we approach that as if it's like this new question like this is a new phenomenon mm-hmm. um when in reality that's 
it, the, the, the writer was talking about music students who were studying Gregorian chant and, and different mm. things from the earlier um, centuries of Christianity. And they were like, this all sounds the same. <laughs> and they're like, it doesn't, it doesn't change. But right. uh, the, the article goes on to explain how there is actually a correlation to that. Like why things might actually, uh, what people mean when they say things sound the same, even you, you get into any particular genre and you start to hear the nuance. Like Mm -hmm. you you spend a little time in hip hop and you kind of go like, Oh, that West coast sounds different than Mm -hmm. East coast hip hop, you know, and I can hear New York there. I can hear LA here. Not all country music sounds the same. There is country and Western, (laughs) right? Both kinds. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, there's the thing about that genre, but at the same time, the 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 content the style mm. what things are are being written um they they kind of point out that almost like a hundred percent of the top twenty five songs associated uh or that are being used in churches right now are associated with just a handful of mega churches this article says um which was this uh reported in this um worship leader research survey earlier this year and um but most of the songs on the list were written and recorded by artists associated with the big four what they call them elevation bethel hillsong or passion mm-hmm. so this is kind of related to the question that nate had before which is sort of like why are we only hearing one side of the frequency you know, if we've got a full frequency thing, but we're only catching the peaks, you know, mm-hmm. and not the troughs, you know, why is that? Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know entirely. Um, I can I can speculate in that those are the those are the churches that are resourced to be able to mass market yeah. their material. Um. You know, we, they have, they have the ability to get their, their music and, and their platform out to the broadest audience possible, uh, because they have the resources to do so. Um, these are the churches that we see on, on YouTube, on, you know, on the pop up on our Instagram feed that pop Mm -hmm. up, you know, anywhere that we look on social media, they are resourced in such a way to be able to mass market their stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that, that does something to our brains that I know that we've talked about before, but mm-hmm. we see this, we see this big sexy thing that's happening at this, at, you know, at this big sexy church. And we think, I want to, I want to be able to do it that way. Or if I'm not doing it that way, I'm wrong. You know, we equate their ability to get their music out to the masses with, with success. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm going to be successful, I need to do it like them. Um, and so, uh, that I think probably plays a big role in that, um, yeah. is, is that they are, they are resourced to be able to mass market their stuff. Um, yeah. and in, in a way that most smaller churches or smaller, you know, or independent artists, worship leaders who are writing really brilliant songs aren't able to do. Um, and, and so they have sort of become the de facto standard <laughs> for, yeah. for what worship music should sound like, look like, feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. Is for that- a very narrow, for a very narrow, uh, tradition. 
yeah. of Christianity, sure. quite honestly. Yeah. It just happens to have like a big uh, populist um, uh, sort of center. You know, mm-hmm. I was looking at that, at that survey of, of worship from the worship leader research um, study. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you look at like who they who they were surveying and uh, who who was participating, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like overwhelmingly like Baptist, mm-hmm. West West Wesleyan, Wesleyan, um, and, and I, have it, I have it up right now. Uh, okay, Baptist, yeah. non denominational, and Wesleyan, non denomination, yeah, were were the largest were the largest responders. E free yeah. comes in like at a like let's see way 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 behind those three yeah that's the next they dwarf the rest yeah yep so and but but what's they have this outsized um microphone i feel like Mm -hmm. because because of how they've integrated with um commerce culture um, and, and it gets, just gets proliferated. So it makes you feel like it's all around you. It makes you mm-hmm. feel like this is what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was, it was shocking. Like, uh, you have that, that, uh, that's that stat that they have about the, um, the churches. Well, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to make yeah. a, a comment though, about the, the church size that these respondents are coming from. Yeah. yeah. Um, the vast majority are churches, uh, from 50, like 51 people to 200 right. people. Right. Um, and then the next largest church size is tw- 201 to 500 people. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, is the, the churches that are putting out these, you know, these resources are churches that are way over 2,000 people. Well, over. Like I said, are resourced to the gills uh, to be able to do these, these amazing productions. Mm-hmm. My my church falls squarely within that fifty one to two hundred person range. Mm-hmm. We do not have the personnel to be able to pull off the kind of thing that Elevation does every Sunday. Like yeah. we just don't have five electric guitar players, somebody on staff full time to produce our backing tracks. Mm-hmm. You know all that kind of stuff. Like it just mm-hmm. so if we want to sound like that, there are there are lots of things that I'm going to have to do to be able to make myself sound that way and pull that song off the way that, you know, the way that elevation does or whatever, you know, Oh my gosh. Um, so Just the staff, right. So I'm faced with a choice. Do I, mm-hmm. do I do that? Or do I find a way to express this song in a way that, that fits my community and fits the resources that I have available to me? Or do I skip that song entirely and try to find, you know, an, an entirely different musical language that, that my culture can, can speak and sing, Yeah, you know, that's, that's the harder work to do Yeah, absolutely. is to actually explore like, Hey, what, what are my people listening to instead of trying to impose on them what, what the worship culture is saying is popular and effective right now? Do I, do I do the hard work of actually diving into my community and saying like, what do you listen to? <laughs> what are you for for a lot of people in my community? They don't listen to anything. So well, you yeah, know. and it's interesting. I wonder if even we should question the the um the premise of worship music um having to adhere to the same 
aesthetics mm-hmm. or standards of popular music? Mm. What if it was entirely different, a right. different kind of music altogether? Right. Like the thing is that it it's now again it's what you would listen to on Christian radio stations. Right. Like it's not like singer songwriters on the on mostly right now on radio stations. It's mm-hmm. still worship music, mm-hmm. a worship a music that was written for congregations to sing, mm-hmm. so that fit within a very narrow structure of. Two verses, uh, two choruses, a building bridge, and back to the chorus twice. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's how it's going to go. And um, but what if worship music, worship that was meant for a congregation, just wasn't all that great to sell? Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't. It, it was. It wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a different kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, you you do want. I mean. You, I think I think you want to remain accessible. You know, you want the songs yeah. to be accessible to a broad variety of people. I mean, you look at, you know, the four-part, you know, four-part hymnody. You know, you look right. at four-part hymns. Like, that worked back in those days because, like, like, everybody back then at least had some, like, cursory musical education yeah you know it was part of school school system it was part of like they were even teaching those kinds of things in church like so you could like you could hand a hymnal to anybody in your congregation and most of them could look at that and read like oh i think today i'm going to sing the tenor part you know in this in this four-part arrangement we've lost that now we don't have a lot of that same that same education and so yeah, we do need to find ways to to present songs to our congregation in ways that they can sing and in mm-hmm. ways that they can they they can participate. Um does that mean that we have to do the most popular thing all the time? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think yeah. that we can we as worship leaders need to probably take responsibility for doing the hard work of of educating our our churches and our communities. It, yeah. Are we going to teach them how to sing four part harmony? Probably not. They're probably can, not going to go with us. But yeah. can can we teach them a way to express our worship musically that isn't in the mainstream? You yeah. know, I think that that may be what you're asking, Paul. Is like, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. like how how do we how do it's we like speak a modified? A, how do we speak a musical language? that our mm. individual communities understand mm. as mm-hmm. opposed to how do we speak a musical language that everybody's speaking, you right. know? Um, so I, I just think that th- that's a, that's a harder way, but I think it's a more beautiful way um, for our congregations yeah. to express themselves individually as opposed to just trying to make carbon copies of yeah. whatever elevation or Bethel or his song or passion yeah. is doing. Well, and, and one thing I think we hear often from, from worship leaders is how do I get my people to sing more? Mm. Right. It's just like, my people don't sing. They don't engage. They don't all this kind of stuff. And what's fascinating is hearing that, but then also looking at the data from this survey and where uh, pretty much across the board, regardless of church size, Mm -hmm. um, most churches are saying we are introducing music too often, yep. new music too often. Yep. Um, and it just feels like either it's way overwhelming or it's just too much than more than we prefer. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, well, why do we feel like people aren't singing? And we also have this thing where we're introduced, we all, 
report that we're introducing music too often mm-hmm. and we just go like why do we feel like we have to introduce mu- this new this much new music all the time yep you yep. know don't you think they're correlated in some way absolutely i i mean i have that conversation uh, probably once a month with a worship yeah. leader yeah. um i just man i i love my church like and and they're great i just they just don't sing they just don't sing I just can't, I, I can't hear them singing on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And then I look through their song list and it's, you know, well, how, you know, how often are you doing new songs? I'm trying to introduce like one new song or sometimes even two new songs a month. Yeah. And it's like, there you go. That's why nobody's singing. I yeah. think, um, yeah. I don't think it has to do with, with your leadership or how much you love your congregation. I mean, it is a leadership issue. Um, yeah. but it's not because like you're leading poorly from the stage, you know, right. you're not giving, except people... for some of them, some of them really do suck. Some of them are terrible. They are um, really terrible, <laughs> no, just but joking. not the ones that listen to chasing Sunday. Um, no, no, not you lovely people. No, you're all the best. Um, yes, I love you. Like you're not giving your people enough time to absorb those songs and learn those songs. You know, um, it takes time. Like I think one thing that worship leaders don't take time to understand and people that work in church in general is that the people that walk into our doors on Sunday morning, they have an hour a week that they're yeah. exposed to that stuff. Mm. We are living in it day living after day. Yep. We are the ones singing those songs week after week. We're rehearsing them during the week. So, of course, we're going to get sick of those songs faster than our congregation is. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we keep that in mind. I don't think that yeah. we think about that. We're, like, we wish that our people would be like, oh, what was that new song? And they go and, like, they download it on their phone on the way out the door, and that's all they're listening to all week long while they're driving in their car, while they're making dinner, while they're at their job, they've got their headphones in, and they're jamming out. Like, no, they're not doing that. They're they're going out into their car, and they're listening to the Broncos game on the radio before they get home. They are going throughout their week listening to NPR or, you know, or, you know, news radio or what, or podcasts or whatever. Um, They aren't, they aren't immersed in this world the way that we are. And we have to keep that in mind, Um, especially when we're teaching people a new song. And there are ways like you can, I know a lot of churches, they'll make a, a Spotify, a Spotify Spotify playlist. Um, They'll make a Spotify playlist and, and point their congregations to that and say like, here are like 12 new songs that we're going to be working on. Like that we want to introduce this year. Uh And you know, so they'll, there are ways that you can expose your congregation to it more, but at the end of the day, it's their choice of whether or not they listen to it. And it's our responsibility when we introduce something new to go slow (laughs) <laughs> you know, to understand that this is going to take some time for this community to absorb this music. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a direct correlation between wow. the fact that we are introducing too much new music and the complaints that we hear from worship leaders saying, my people aren't singing or participating. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we, that's, that's on us. Um, I think, um, if you want people to participate, you've got to give them time to absorb the things that you're introducing. Yeah. 
I th- I just thought it was a it was a fascinating read. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I love data, um, and I kind of geek out on that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but it, it but that data is really helpful sometimes in helping us spot certain trends that we already intuitively have been feeling mm-hmm. and going like, okay, actually, then there's some another point of verification there that 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 lets us know. So, yeah. um, uh, it's fascinating. Yeah, let's uh, let's do this because we we could dive really deep into this. Um, let's make these we'll make these links available in the podcast description for this week. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you can dive into those, those links yourself and, and, and check out that data. And that article that Paul is referencing is also very fascinating. Um, and, uh, I, I it's given, I think I know which one you're, you're talking about Paul, mm-hmm. cause, uh, it's like a three part, is it a three part article or something like that? I think um, they may have had some, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It's very, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Um, and I think very eye opening, especially if you are leading worship in a smaller church and you're feeling frustrated, um, Mm -hmm. about, you know, the quote unquote progress that your church is making. Um, chances are you're fine. Uh, (laughs) um, it's everybody else that has the problem. So, This is a very, very American evangelical thing to say. Um, (laughs) Everybody else has the problem. We're fine. Um, So anyway, speaking of how we got so good, how we, how we get, how we got to this level of, of knowledge and education. Like we thought at the, at this, for this last episode, how's that for transitions? That's a great transition, Paul. I just killed that transition. Um, was, Brian and I thought we would share some of these books that we felt really um, impacted us both this year and and bef- and um, actually and before too because right. um, we don't often just kind of share what we're reading. I don't think we've ever done that. And um, but I think of these these uh, these ideas, these books, as hopefully gifts. I, I just love mm. recommending stuff, Brian. I think probably would attest to this that it's just like it's almost like a love language when i get to share something um that to me like when people say like what are you reading what are you watching i was like oh man that's such a gift to me so (laughs) i'm just giving myself a gift today um that's what this is about um but yeah here himself feel good so here yeah exactly so here are a couple of book book ideas um for you uh and uh brian do you want to start too or do you want me to just yeah go? so when when we first started discussing this I, paul paul is a voracious reader um i am less so um mm-hmm. and so my my book recommendations are all older um books that that i have that i read long ago but that i the messages of which I always mm. come back to, yeah. um, that fall into sort of three categories, uh, for me is, uh, uh, you know, something that I need to fall back on when I need a reminder about who I am. Um, when I need reminders about what, what I'm doing in the church in the first place and what the church, you know, should be doing. Um, and then book, uh, you know, a book that I come back to when I think about how I need a reminder about how I should be leading um, my my team and my congregation. Um, the first one, when I need a reminder about who I am, um, uh, obviously the Bible. We have to say that because it's a Christian <laughs> podcast. Um, a book that I that I come back to um, when I need to be reminded about who I am in Christ. I, I always come back to the Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, oh, so by Brendan Manning. 
Yeah. Uh, I was I was late to the party on this book. I'd heard it talked about, you know, probably late in high school, especially in college. It was all the it was all the rage at CCU. Like, oh, have you read that? Did you see he him did. speak? I, yeah, he came and spoke at our chapel. One of my and, favorites. Um, and so I I probably did. I don't. It. I didn't read this book until probably three or four years ago. Mm, um, wow, cool! And it devastated me. Um, mm. Just this reminder from a very, very humble, um, yeah. very humble man uh, who had who'd been through some stuff. Um, but for him to have been through everything that he went through and still be able to say like, but I know, like at the end of the day, I'm I'm loved by Christ, and and there's nothing that can change that. Like, um, uh, what there's my favorite line from it. Um, some people say that I am a, like a saint or a, like, Oh, an angel. Yeah. Some people say that I'm like, you know, some great thing. I say that I am an angel with a huge capacity for beer. Yeah. That just, (laughs) man, that I just, I love Uh, that. I love that so much. Um, so, uh, if you haven't read it, uh, mm. Check out the Ragamuff- Ragamuffin Gospel mm-hmm. um, by Brendan Manning. Really, anything that he's written, I think, is 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 yeah. really brilliant. Um, when I need a reminder about what I'm doing at at the church and and what what exactly is this thing, um, and and why have I given myself to to this endeavor for so long? Um, there's a book, an old book by Michael Iaconelli, um uh, called messy spirituality. Man, um, you're hitting the, uh, the hits, man. Oh, These are great. Just, just the hits. Uh, I love them. this, this book really changed the way that I thought about, not just about the church, but about how, how I lead worship, how I lead my teams, the kinds of people that I'm looking for to have on my teams, because really the, the idea behind it is like the church is not supposed to be this perfect, polished, you know, beautiful, you know, th- I mean, yeah, it, it it's not what we have sort of made it into, where everything has to be just so. Um, I, one of my favorite stories in that book, it tells the story of, of someone who was supposed to get the, they were supposed to bring the elements for communion one Sunday, and they just their week blew up and they weren't able to get what they needed. And so like they remembered, I think like right as they were on their way to, to church on Sunday and they stopped at like a convenience store and got hot dog buns and diet Coke. And those, <laughs> yeah. those were their elements for communion that week. And and we think about it and it sounds a little bit irreverent and it sounds a little bit, but like in that moment, like that's what they had for communion that day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it wasn't it wasn't the bread and wine it was hot dog buns and diet coke and yeah. i just think that's so beautiful like you do what you can with what you have um and uh i, I think another the, oh, i'm remind oh that's my fourth book i finally have a fourth i'll come back okay. to that one. um it's just i don't know it's a, just a really it paints a really beautiful picture of what the church could be if we stopped trying to play all these games and stopped yeah. trying to present yeah. this front to people um, it's a great book. When I think about how I need to lead people, um, I think about a book by a guy named Tim Sanders. Uh, it's called Love is the Killer App. Um, yeah. And it was the first time I was convinced, I was, I was introduced to this concept of like, you make yourself successful by, by investing in other people and helping them become successful. 
it's really interesting because I know that I've railed against this idea of like, oh, going to Christian conferences and all the people are like Fortune 500 CEOs and all that kind of stuff. Well, Tim Sanders, at the time that I went to this conference, he was the CEO of Yahoo. Um, Mm -hmm. But the stuff that he was talking about was so revolutionary, at least for me. Um, and, and I just wish uh, he was probably the least liked <laughs> speaker, at least among the people that I went to this conference with. Cause I was like, Oh, didn't you like get so much out of what Tim was saying? And they were like, nah, I could have like walked out on that and not felt bad at all. I was like, Oh, this was revolutionary. So I went out yeah. and I bought his book and I read it and I was just like, just this idea that like, how revolutionary is it that if we actually yeah. like loved people into like into success and, and loved people into recognizing their gifting and their strengths and their like, like putting them to work and empowering them in the things that they're actually really good at and love. Like that's the key to success for yourself. It's the key to success for your organization is having people work in their strengths and in the places that they love to work. I just, I think it's just really, it's not a ministry book by any means. Um, but I think it has huge ramifications and huge implications for, for the church if we actually operated that way, yeah. instead of just seeing people as cogs in a machine and actually put them like put them in places of of strength and and loved them into, um, into their gifting. I think is just it's it's really powerful. Yeah. Um, the last the the fourth book that I would say, and this is a freebie, um, is uh, Holy the Firm by Annie Dillard or by Anne Man. Dillard. Uh, did, so good. Did I steal That's one, one of my – no, you didn't, okay. but that is like one of my all-time favorite. Um, really anything by, by Annie Dillard I think is going to be brilliant. Um, but this book in particular just – it's not like a worship book. In fact, like mm. some may read it and think this is like borderline heresy. Um, <laughs> but for me, it's just mm. such a deeply spiritual, um, humble um, – mm. Just I, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, yeah. Because it's, it's just mystery. It's just so, it's so amazingly beautiful. The pictures that she paints mm-hmm. with her words, and how we as as really just screwed up human beings relate to God. Yeah, um, yeah. She just has a beautiful way of expressing that, and so uh, so those are my four: the Ragamuffin Gospel, uh, Messy Spirituality, Love Is the Killer App, and Holy the Firm. Yeah, good. Mine. So great. How about you, Polly? I think we do have to put these li- put these like links, you know, in, sure. and stuff like that for this. We'll we'll assemble yeah. that. Um, I, I decided to arrange my little uh, book recommendations according to sort of the the pillars of the green room that we mm. talked about a little bit earlier in, in this season. Um, just to res- as a refresher, the the four pillars we talk about is soul. Like, what is it like leading? Uh, we we talk about the um, the cycles of works and versus grace and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And but really. Um, the four pillars are soul, heart, mind, and strength, and those kind of the the way in which we we choose to lead. And so, the book that I felt like was, if I think about soul mm-hmm. and what is it that has made one of the biggest impacts on my soul and the way I I think about the soul, is the book, small book called A Sabbath by uh, mm-hmm. Rabbi 
Abraham Joshua Heschel, hmm. um, which uh, is, I mean, I'm just going to read you just a little piece of it because it was hmm. so good that this, and I won't say anything else about this. He says, <laughs> in the, I don't even remember where this is in the book, but I pulled this out. Um, we cannot solve the problem of time through the conquest of space, hmm. through either pyramids or fame. We can only solve the problem of time through sanctification of time. To men alone, time is elusive. To men with God, time is eternity in disguise. Hmm. That, and then he goes, he said, creation is the language of God. Time is his song, and the things of space are the consonants in the song. So hmm. to sanctify time is to sing the vowels in unison with him. Come on. Wow. To sanctify time is to sing the vowels in unison with him. And the task of people is to conquer space and sanctify time. Hmm. So the way we experience the soul is in time. I feel like it's all wrapped up in that hmm. for me. Um, so I won't, wow. anyway, that hmm. whole book is genius from start to finish. Hmm. Um, the book that comes to mind when I think of heart, the pillar of heart uh, is like, um, and that is sort of like when I'm most discouraged, when I lose my way, mm. I guess, and my heart is, uh, I feel like calcifying. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the books that really helped me recently to sort of like bring it back into a human heart is Learning How to Walk in the Dark by Barbara Brown Taylor. Mm. Um, actually, another book that she wrote called uh, An Altar in the World, which re- was more recent. But in in uh, Learning How to Walk in the Dark, she talks about how so much of our um, spirituality is really about living like in the light mm. and so much and she she would call it like solar versus lunar spirituality mm. but she's saying okay. the same god of the light is also present in the dark mm-hmm. and that what is and obviously it's sort of the stuff that we don't want to talk about because we are all going to go through periods of darkness. Mm-hmm. That is just what it's like to live in a 24-hour day. It's like what it's like to live in the season right now that we are in a season of darkness in winter. Mm-hmm. And it's also time spiritually, you're going to go through darkness. So does that mean like God's going to see you when you get back to the light? And uh, <laughs> while you're in the dark, you're kind of on your own? Absolutely not. Uh, so, such um, a great reminder. Yeah, learning to walk in the dark is brilliant. Um, the one... Um, that I think about when I, about mind, about um, a great way, uh, one of the most influential books in terms of helping me see the patterns uh, and and systems of the sort of Christian culture in the West was mm-hmm. Phyllis Tickle's book, um, The Great Emergence, mm-hmm. um, that she talks about, um, I think I maybe have said it before, she uses the met- metaphor of the rummage sale. Like every 500 years, the church has a rummage sale mm. in which they sort of like put out all their stuff on the lawn and go like, <laughs> what do we want to keep and what do we want to get rid of? And she says it goes through about every 500 years since the first uh the first disciples. Mm. Um, and we are in one of those 500 year patterns mm. that she would, she called, she was so prophetic, um, but, but had this an, an amazing 
um, historical lens and articulated mm. it so well. Um, and the, the pattern that we're in right now is called the great emergence. Um, and it's that 500 years after the ref, the, the, uh, Protestant reformation. Okay. Um, and, uh, everything that we do is informed by this, this sort of pattern. So mm. that's a fantastic book and, and anything that Phyllis Tickle, uh, writes was just, Amazing, and she might uh, just have the very best name. Phyllis Tickle, all right, Christendom, and like, she was so the. Weird. I didn't, I didn't uh, learn about her until late in her life, and mm. I heard her speak a few times. And she's this, she was this old white Southern woman mm. who had the most joyful, like uh, Southern draw. It was just delightful, mm. um, and I was so sad um, to lose her. But she had mm. passed away a while ago. I don't remember when, but um, anyway, yeah. great stuff. And then yeah. the the last one is the uh, my book about strength. What are some of the the book that has helped me? Um, maybe with the best tactics or systems or or things that that I feel like help make my life. I don't know. This is the one that's a little tricky because it it kind of veers into that sort of optimization thing, mm-hmm. but it also I would say helps me um, become healthier, and that is Atomic Habits by mm. um, James Clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and another, that's another thing. Like, if you you can subscribe to James Clear's newsletter, and it's one of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. It is so simple yeah. and so easy to read, and it's got amazing wisdom every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Atomic Habits. If I were to just kind of break down the premise, it was just sort of like um it's how it's it's very counter logical and countercultural, which is like you're not gonna be made better by these huge leaps of these amazing breakthroughs. You're gonna be made better by one percent better at a time, incrementally improving mm-hmm. over time. So it's about patience, it's about giving up the temptation to leap for those huge um make those big swings and all that kind of stuff and, and we love the the romanticism around that mm-hmm. that's like what american Christ, uh american christianity and america america is all about it's like mm-hmm. you know the lone ranger guy who bets it all and you know i'm going all in and yep. and that hero sort of thing and we all want to do it and we're so um tempted by that and it's uh it's really destructive on lives mm-hmm. and it doesn't pan out for most nope. people <laughs> and for anybody really, even the winners, the yeah. people who win that way. Um, one of the biggest, it was, this is off, off topic, but one of the biggest determining factors of whether somebody like fails in, in later life, you know, in terms of their, uh, whether they get stuck is whether they were a prodigy when they were young. If people labeled them as like, you have this innate ability, if you have this innate thing, you're just this really genius Mm -hmm. and you get all these early wins, they can't, you know, it just doesn't pan out. Study after study shows that. My my wife and I have this discussion often um, about like the, because she was in she was placed in like gifted and talented programs right. uh, early on in, in her schooling. And, and I, <laughs> I was the first person that I know of uh, to get kicked out of a gifted and talented program <laughs> in, That's in, a good uh, thing. in junior high uh, because I just like, I just couldn't, 
it's not that I couldn't hack it. I just didn't want to. Like, I yeah, just, yeah. like, why are we doing it? This just seems like extra work. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so like, but how, how kind of damaging that was to, to both of us to be like, yeah. oh, you're like, you're gifted and talented. So we have to take, we have to pluck you out of the, like the rest of the, the, the class and put you in with all these other brainiacs, you know? And, yeah. and it was like, no, I just want to, I, I just want to be left alone. Like, I just yeah. want to do what everybody else is doing. And like, uh, yeah, maybe I'm doing it faster or, you know, or, or better, or maybe I'm a little bit bored, but it, I'm, it doesn't bother me, you know? <laughs> so it's like, uh, just, you, uh, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. No, but I, I think it's, uh, it's a huge, addiction in our culture oh, yeah. um, that worships the the hero like right. that, the gifted and talented. Yep. And then uh, not only does it hurt those people, but it hurts the people, everybody who's not quote unquote gifted and talented. Right. Um, I mean, I met with this guy just re- uh, made a new friend who is like the Good executive director of a ad agency and okay. he has dyslexia. And he was like, first time he took the ACT, it was, he got a 13 and the mm. second time he took it, he got an 11. Whoa. So it's like the fact that uh, like nobody recognizes his genius, but we measured it against this, right. this ridiculous standard that was based yeah. on like mostly like a very select group of white men in the first place. So it yeah. was really, it's such a strange yeah. thing that we've put ourselves in. Anyway, Atomic yeah. Habits yeah. is a great accessible way for everybody to be able to in, engineer, I would say, um, and design, um, a sustainable plan that, that helps them get, you know, I don't know, whatever you want, more creative, healthier, yeah. whatever it could be. But get, those, those are my books. Want. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm fascinated and I, I think I know why this is, but, um, but our listeners may recognize none of those books are, are about, leading worship <laughs> yeah that's right like, it's not yeah. what it's not like the usual suspects you know heart of the artist or you know or uh you know uh, who's the there's so many other like the sally morgenthaler yeah sally morgenthaler's thing. books or um you know or so, Mako. so here's here's the thing like uh, those are those are fine books and and yeah. i think that that's that those are very good like those are very good resources to have for sure. And if you want more of those, like I'm sure Paul and I have a list of those as well that we could provide. Um, I know for me, like I, I think I got to the point in reading worship books, you know, worship yeah. leader books um, where I was like, okay, you're, you're all just saying the same thing essentially. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I just, I, I, I don't want to say that I stopped reading uh, worship books. Um, if you, there's one that, that comes to mind, if you're looking to incorporate liturgy, um, there's one called ever ancient, ever new by Winfield Bevins that I would highly recommend. Uh, but that, I would say that was probably the last like worship book that I read, um, a couple of years ago. Uh, here's the thing. Like, I think that, that the things that you're going to learn about, yourself and about your heart and about strengthening your mind and all those kinds of things, I think are going to do more to feed into your worship leadership than just sitting and like filling yourself up on like, how do I become a good worship leader? Like maybe let's focus on like, how do I become a good person? How do I become a good leader? 
How do I become a good follower of Christ? How do I rest myself in in his like in the identity that he has for me? Um, I think those are things that are going to feed more into your worship leadership than just reading the latest yeah. field manual on leading worship. Yeah. Well, and I would say that's the case for any artist. Usually, most artists like uh, they. they uh... I think one example that came to mind was like um, the the hip hop artist Biggie Smalls was mm. only listening to country music. Hmm. So and and it's like or other people were like uh, the painters who study ballet, right? Or you know because there's just so much that you can know within your own genre that you're going to continue to be your own echo chamber. And you're just going to think the way you've always thought about that thing. Um, And uh, my favorite book on worship actually right now, and the worship space is actually from a writer of conflict resolution. Uh, Priya Mm. Parker made this book called the art of gathering. And I, I think of that all the time Mm. when I'm designing worship services. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but that's the thing is like, you're going to maybe, maybe get to a s- certain place. Maybe you need a certain amount of practical in- uh, insight about how to develop set lists or lead teams and all that kind of stuff. That's absolutely essential and important, but there's going to be a place where that's not going to cut it for you anymore. Yeah. And, uh, it's good to move on. Well, and I, you may get to the place too, where when you're reading a book like Atomic Habits or, you know, Love is the Killer app or, mm-hmm. or something like that, or, or Holy the Firm, like mm-hmm. I want to encourage you as you read those books to think about how does this inform my worship leading? How yeah. does, how does yeah. this make me a better worship leader? Um, because like there's so much knowledge and so much great stuff to be gleaned from those things, even though it's not explicitly about leading worship, these things definitely inform the way that I lead worship yes. now. Like when I, when I read Holy the Firm, I'm thinking about, am I that moth that's being, yes. that's being consumed by, by the candle flame? Yes. Um, like you have to read the book to find out what I mean by that. But, yeah. um, you know, there's just, there's so much to be gleaned and so much more outside of like the worship leader genre of books, um, that, that can inform our worship leading. And I think make it like create more of a depth to it than just reading, you know, the sort of prescribed tomes about, you know, about worship leading. So, yeah. Um, anyway, we have well, this gone, is fantastic. This is a, this is a long podcast. Thank you for hanging in with us. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening this season. Um, we are, uh, we're going to start digging into for, for season four. Um, we're going to start looking at the ways that, uh, technology and, um, and all those things kind of have, have shaped Mm -hmm. our experiences, uh, in leading worship, how to use them well, how to, how to, not use them. Um, you know, wait, like basically we're going to look at technology in worship. Yeah. We're going to grapple with some of this. Yep. And, and I think it's going to be, if it's not too late, um, it's not going to be long, uh, for us to, if we haven't started think if you haven't started thinking about the ways in which not just what kind of tech am I going to use, right? but how does tech change the way I think, change the way I feel about myself and change the way I think about God. Mm. Like that question is going to get more intense in the next three years. Mm -hmm. My, my 
my feeling is more than it's ever have than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Um, and it's going to happen so fast. So Mm -hmm. we want to have conversations with, with, you know, friends of ours that are doing it, but we're also looking for other, um, great thinkers and writers and pastors who are also wrestling with this too. So if you know anybody and you want to talk to us and for some reason, um, please, (laughs) that would be great. Um, but thank you so much for listening to season three and, um, we will, we're going to take a little bit of a break for the holidays and, um, start back up in 2024. Um, we are a production of Torn Curtain Arts, which is a nonprofit that really depends on the kindness of our donors mm-hmm. and our partners. So if for some reason you got something out of these podcasts, if there if some part of it helped you lead your teams better, would you consider giving us a donation? Uh, you can go to Torn Curtain Arts dot org forward slash donate um you can give there uh colorado gives day is coming up here in colorado on december 6th in which your donation goes even further um Mm -hmm. so you can go to colorado gives and look up torn curtain arts there um and if you can't do that just maybe like an episode on the podcasts or um share it with a friend tell somebody about it um, that you think might really benefit from what we're saying and, and what we're doing. So, but yeah. most of all, we just really appreciate you listening. Yes, we do. So, uh, thank you. And, uh, yeah, keep your ears open. Uh, check us out on, uh, social platforms, uh, where we'll be posting news, not only about Colorado Gives Day and of your giving coming up, um, but also, uh, when we'll be back with, uh, with season four of Chasing Sunday. Uh, thank you so much. We love you. Keep doing the good work. Keep doing the hard work. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. See you. Chasing Sunday is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and distributed by Resonate Media. Your hosts are Brian Davis and Paul Romig-Levitt with editing and mixing by Danny Burton. Torn Curtain Arts is a 501c3 nonprofit organization and your tax-deductible gifts make our work possible. For more information about TCA and to partner with us in our ongoing work, visit torncurtainarts.org.